This episode of Transform Your Workplace is brought to you by Zenium HR. We know at Zenium that the everyday HR stuff is hard enough to keep up with, but you're also having to deal with super stressful big picture questions like, is my employee handbook really up to date? And what does it take in today's market to recruit and retain top talent? What policy changes are needed right now as we're in a hybrid and remote work environment? The questions just never end, but you're not alone. Most small to mid-sized businesses are trying to focus on their strategies for growth while they're drowning in the ever-changing demands of HR and payroll. That's why Zenium put everything you need to conquer those endless challenges in one place. In our most popular service, Complete HR Plus Payroll, we simply become or augment your HR team. We provide all the expertise, the bandwidth, and support needed to give you the freedom to play to your strengths. Schedule a call today by going to zeniumhr.com. You shouldn't have to lose your focus on growth to take care of your people. That's why you should lean on Zenium's complete HR plus payroll. Okay, I've got a real treat for you today. I've got returning guest Victoria Dew with me, and she's here to talk about the new rules of employee experience and communications in 2022. She does an annual survey to a ton of different organizations across different industries and different sizes. And you're going to hear what they had to say about the past year and its impact on people and how leaders are communicating. You're going to get a lot out of this. There's a lot of great action items and takeaways. And in the show notes, feel free to download that report that we're talking about. Enjoy today's episode. Make sure to connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, any of those places. I'd love to hear from you. Enjoy the episode with Victoria Dew. Take care. Well, I'm excited for today's episode. I've got Victoria Dew, a returning guest. Victoria, how are you? Oh, Brandon, I'm great. I'm so glad to be back here with you. Yeah, it's exciting. So you have a new report out, the new rules of employee experience and communications in 2022. Last year, I think about this time, we we talked about your 2020 report. So is this the second time you've done this report now? It is. It is. The first report was so valuable and helpful to people that we actually sort of doubled down. We expanded the research um, significantly. And this report, the organizations we spoke to touched the lives of nearly half a million American workers and um, nearly a million uh, employees around the globe. So we wanted to talk to leaders and organizations of all kinds of sizes, industries, sectors. The smallest organization we spoke to has 10 employees and the largest has about 175,000. Oh my gosh. The average size is about 20,000. And so we wanted to make sure there was something in here that anyone in any size organization industry could find and apply and use right away to help improve employee experience and communications in their company with the research you did for this book, how does that compare to the 2020 report? Like, did you really interview and research amongst the same types of companies or did you really expand it to try to see what else was out there? We expanded it and we doubled the the number of leaders we spoke with and 
what we were also very aware was making sure that we had significant representation of frontline employees. Um, we've heard so much about them, but the needs and the experience and especially how we connect digitally is and has changed so much in the last two years that that was a special area of focus was to make sure that we, we captured that sufficiently. Was there any particular theme or areas that you were setting out to find in this particular report? It's funny with like when you research and do interviews, it's hard not to bring in some of the bias. Did you have like preconceived notions that you're going in with or did you just kind of go with a blank slate and ask really standard questions? Like, I'm just curious what your whole process was and what you were setting out to find. It's an interesting question because I think, you know, with the 2020 report, one of the things we were, I was very mindful of in that time was people first wanted to talk a lot about how they responded to the initial phase of the pandemic to that kind of those first months of crisis, right? And I was very mindful of wanting to hear more about what people were looking for, right? What was coming, how they were approaching the future. And in this report, obviously having significant time passed, a lot of this was about this shift to, you know, now that the, I hate the word new normal, but this world that we live in has in some sense become more uh, familiar. It was what we wanted to know was, where are we now taking kind of a snapshot of where are we now certainly wanting to look at best practices now that people have some best practices for hybrid and and remote work under their belt and that some of those initial changes around certain how leaders communicate etc how we keep people connected in a digital environment how those those have settled in right so there are those practices are a little more mature now so we were looking at where they were and how organizations and leaders were looking to evolve them going forward. You wrote at the beginning of the report that the last 20 plus months have created a world in which workers can't and won't tolerate the way we've always done it. And I put air quotes around the the way we've always done it. So why do you say that in particular? Is it just because of this new normal, the, the way in which we've operated during the pandemic and now people are really figuring out what what it takes to run a successful organization going forward. Like what, um, just unpack that statement for me, if you would. Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of the report obviously focuses on the great resignation and, you know, we saw the quit numbers for this week, you know, 4.5 million people quit their jobs in November up from 4.2 in October, which we thought was high. And, you know, we see that the number of jobs that are available has, you know, vastly outstripped the number of people who are looking for jobs. Um, you know, I think this thing about what we what workers won't tolerate, we also see, you know, this idea of finally wage increases, which of course makes everyone nervous, but we know there's been this hollowing out of the middle class. So there's all these sort of trends and forces that are coming together to um, a sort of, you know, the pointy end of things that have been brewing that many of us have wondered why it took so long, but there is this kind of mad as hell and not going to take it anymore. Um, I think Ezra Klein, New York Times called it the take this job and shove it economy, which I kind of like um and i think it's like you know you can say you know cynically oh well it's cyclical and you know right now it's a you know talent you know talent you know market i think enough has changed that the way that we have always done it and the way that workers have been uh always kind of kept on the back foot always treated as semi-disposable i do believe it has fundamentally shifted yeah that makes a lot of sense now when you consider what you wrote in the 20 20- 20 report. So 
the, towards the end of it, you've got some action items and strategies for employers um, in terms of, you know, what your findings were and then what, you know, you put your own spin on it. How did that shake out in the last, you know, couple of years when it comes to this report? Do you think a lot of what you wrote in that report came true? And is it feeding into what, what employers are going to be doing going forward? Yeah, it's really interesting, I think. And one of the things we did with, in this report was kind of compare to then and now how accurate was our crystal ball section, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think there are some things that we have seen. Well, I think the biggest one, honestly, is in the end of the 2020 report, one of the questions I asked was, what if the hits just keep coming, right? What if this is really, there's no end in sight? And I think just easy, even as we've seen with, you know, the Omicron variant and certainly what we saw over the summer with Delta, this idea of every time we think we've got our arms around how to do this, it changes. And I think that was something that we had seen and someone anticipated maybe the case in the last report certainly has come true that there is no end. There's no there, there, there's no end point. It's just like an, a constant adapting to whatever change is going on in the moment. And that that requires very different muscles, skill sets, perspectives than have really been required in the past. I don't think whatever happens with the virus, I don't think that sort of, you know, rapidly changing context and that, that need to kind of shift gears, adapt, right? I don't think that that need to rap, be able to rapidly shift gears, update, refine, um, and adapt is going to change uh, anytime soon. I think the, you know, the slowest pace of change is in the past, right? I think things will only continue to accelerate. And that's certainly a word we hear a lot. Um, other things that we think have come that have come through that we certainly anticipated and we're looking at was what we still have not really figured out is that um, we still haven't figured out that there's an alternative to face to face. We are still all trying to figure out face to face and what to do in the absence of that. We have not actually really had a chance to figure out how to make hybrid work. The report shares some examples of how some organizations have done that, but it has certainly been hard because we've had these fits and starts, right, over the past year. So a lot of what's in the report is what has worked in some cases, which certainly when people take that, they may be able to use that in their organizations um, and adapt it. But I think one of the things there, the kind of lessons and takeaways there is you know, this is this time for innovation and adaptation, and the rule book has been thrown out. So um, we get to recreate, reimagine, reinvent um, so many aspects of the way we create employee experience and the way we communicate and connect with and connect our people. Employee experience, you just you mentioned it. It's a big focus of this report. What is the key, if there's like a silver bullet, to having a great employee experience? A silver bullet. Um <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know what, I don't think there is a silver bullet. In fact, one of the kind of points I make and that I think a lot about that is relevant for what I call people, people, and I often talk about we, the people, people, which is, you know, I come from a communications background and obviously people who are HR professionals, you know, we, the people, people is imperative, I think, for us 
to hold the complexity of employee experience of this changing world for our organizations to be able to be strategic and innovative and adapt to how we create. And I, I talk a lot about it as sort of a surround sound that every touch point, everything that employees think, feel, know, believe, do, how they work, how they connect with each other, all those aspects of employee experience and communications is obviously part of that. It is becoming more nuanced. We are having to use finer and finer brush strokes, you know, this age of kind of top-down cascades, one-size-fits-all, right, disseminating information, which I hate the thought of. That is really gone, right, is we're dealing with micro-communications and listening and more two-way communication and really engaging audiences in a way that is exciting. So I think the silver bullet is actually embracing the chaos and complexity and getting really good at, at navigating that. Yeah. So with that said, tell me about how focusing on employee experience actually shapes the future of work. So if you're embracing the chaos and uh, adapting to it and really paying attention to all that, how does it shape the way work looks like? Well, most businesses, you know, I think we've always had this kind of idea that robots were going to come and take our jobs, right? Saying that for 10 years. We've been saying that for a long time. Certainly automation is, um, you know, and machines are a thing. I think there was some stat that um, machines and automation by 2025 will eliminate 87 million jobs around the world, but will create 95 million new jobs. So a net gain of 12 million jobs. We also are obviously seeing declining, uh, shrinking workforce. Forget what's happening right now, just a macro level, birth rates are, are in decline. So if a business, unless your business is completely run by machines and robots, um, and I don't know any that are, you may come have come across them, but I don't. So if you are a people-powered business and that you are counting on human beings, actual real-life human beings, to run your company for you, run your business, then what is becoming clear and what we're, where we're kind of getting into is that creating a world and an experience that helps them to be finally, right, whole humans, full humans, and to be able to bring all those very sort of human qualities, the best of what humans can do to their work is really the way through. That is how we innovate. Um, that is how we'll adapt and how we'll leapfrog forward into this brave new weird world. Um, so the role of the employer and of the company in creating a context, is, which would be another word for you know, employee experience, but a context or a, a container or a sort of little universe, right, where employees and workers can thrive um, becomes really important when you're counting on those people to run your business. Uh, so if you could boil the employee experience down to a few core areas that employees need, and w- which will define a really good employee experience going forward and will shape the future of work, what are those core areas that employers should be addressing? So there's so many ways kind of into this conversation. And it's an area when you really start to try and unpack all the aspects of employee experience where you can really find yourself quite lost. So one of the tools um, and the rubrics that I've found most useful and that we use a lot in our work um, is some key arenas of employee experience that Gallup has defined. And they align really nicely with we in our work use a sort of adapted Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, and the Gallup arena is really align very nicely to those, right? Which is um, one of them is having a workspace. Do I have a workspace? And, you know, in a virtual world, right, that's to have an ergonomic chair, right? And one of the things in terms of employee experience that we're having to contend with is this shift to that your work 
place might not be a physical location or your workspace, right? Your day-to-day physical environment that you're in may not be an office building. And that's a shift. And then looking at um, team, your connection with team, others that you work closely with, your role clarity, how well you understand your role and how to perform, right? And then your relationship with your manager. And this report talks a lot about managers as both the challenge and the opportunity. Um, Managers, I would say, are a partial silver bullet. They are absolutely a linchpin in getting this right. And then at the top of the pyramid, we put well-being, right? All those broader um, human needs, your career, your financial health, your physical health, um, sense of community. And those we are seeing more and more employers really needing to step in and have and play a role in ensuring, you know, physical, psychological safety, mental health, right? Which of course touches on so many other areas like, you know, keeping me safe, help me to belong, help me to do my job well, help me to develop and grow. With the research and the findings and the interviews that you did with for the 2022 report, did a lot of what you heard fall into some of these areas? Absolutely. And I think that speaks to so one very key theme that comes up again and again is the importance of listening. Mm, yeah, right. Now, I think in the HR space, in an HR tech right? There's lots of tools and SaaS platforms that are about listening. But one major shift that we heard between the, in the two years was in 2021, you know, when I asked about voice of the employee, often I would talk about surveys, you know, we've surveyed employees to find out what they want. And this year we heard really more nuanced um, approaches to listening, more focus groups, um, more we do in our work. Certainly we work with listening programs with organizations to help them kind of have a systemic way to keep listening, which is part of communication. So less talking, more listening. And that focus on listening, but then also taking action. What we hear a lot of times is like when people talk about survey fatigue, people don't, I don't think I get survey fatigue they get tired of being asked for their opinion and then nothing happens. Yes. I so agree with that because I've heard that like survey fatigue. I love filling out surveys as an employee because it means I'm being heard. But I agree with you. If there's no action being taken, that's where people could be like, well, oh, here's another survey they're going to do nothing with. And this is another area too where we certainly see in our work, you know, often companies are doing a lot. But the the communications piece gets lost, right? So for example, with DEI initiatives, you know, organizations may be really making great strides in trying to improve their inclusion and belonging, but for whatever reason, employees may not see it or perceive it. Right. We certainly see this is another another major trend is, you know, companies that will come with, um, you know, DEI survey results that are nowhere near where they wanted them to be right? And they're like, we're doing everything we can. Why don't they see it? So there's a whole piece about how we create storytelling communications to help people have that experience of the changes in policy, practice, et cetera, um, strategy that are aligned with that so that all the pieces kind of match up. Did you hear anything from the people you interviewed about really innovative practices, or at least from your perspective, because you live in this world? I'm curious if there's any innovative practices that you really hadn't thought of or that you haven't seen employers implement that would help improve the employee experience? One of the things we saw that was really interesting was a shift in understanding the roles and the skill sets that are needed in these teams. And for example, you know, a shift to 
building employee experience and communications teams that go beyond the written word, that are able to create stickier media, greater use of video, um, greater use of um, events, whatever we mean by that, right? Um, But how we use technology, how we use graphics. But what's important there about the shift to how we communicate and we create that world is this understanding that we have to meet people where they are. The shift to, I think before there was this assumption that employers or that companies could just demand employees' attention, right? Because they gave them a paycheck. So they had to pay attention and they had to, to, they had to listen and they had to do what they were told. This shift to communicating with employees much more in the way that you would treat more customer-centric, right, and employee-centric. And so how can we reach them? How can we connect with them? How can we win hearts and minds and keep them and bring them on this journey? This shift in understanding of how we're going to meet people where they are and what are the tools, platforms, channels, media that we need to do that, that was a big significant shift. That it's not just sending emails and newsletters and town halls, just a much more sophisticated, nuanced approach. One of the sections that I really wanted to touch on because I think it's relevant to where we're at right now with this whole like, I don't know what you want to call it, great resignation, or I've heard I've heard a bunch of different names for it, but you wrote that retention is reactive. And I think what that section is really talking about is that, you know, if organizations are seeing people leave, it tends to be a lagging indicator based on what, what's going on previous to that. So what are you suggesting that people do? Are they getting in front of the retention strategy? Are they still using it as an indicator? Like what, what do you suggest? I think that's where the employee experience strategy and especially employee experience communications and how they marry those functions is critical because you're exactly right. It's a lagging indicator. You cannot wait for people to walk out the door to understand that you have a problem. And I think, you know, sometimes, you know, very often our phone rings because people are having a retention problem, right? And certainly these days everyone is having a retention problem and I get it. There is a way in which it's like, I always wish people would call sooner right? Because it's a lot harder once the ship is leaking. It is a reality of business. I think that people need to solve urgent problems. Urgent will always trump important, right? So I think that's where we find ourselves here. I see smart companies, especially this came through, you know, um, especially sort of um, high growth, mature startups in its, you know, SaaS platforms, tech space have built their companies knowing they were going to be competing for software engineers, right? And they have no, they're under no illusion (laughs) that they don't need to create a top-notch employee experience um, in order to attract and retain and get great performance from and grow those um, those professionals. Um, They get that. And many of the smartest ones somehow figured out that it was about more than ping pong tables, right? Even before we didn't have ping pong tables. So I think that's one of the shifts to being really proactive and strategic because there's so many there's so many ancillary benefits to it. So beyond retention, it's performance, it's um, it's innovation, it's growth and development, right? And helping people to stay and move laterally through the company and take on different roles and creating that connection and culture. So I agree that that's why I love that, that retention is reactive, um, that getting ahead of it is the most strategic, smartest way to run a business. What did you uncover 
that's working for employers right now in terms of the the new the new normal well certainly you know employee journey mapping persona work very much like you would do in external or in marketing really understanding your internal customers explain that from an internal standpoint though like how how does the journey mapping is it like, yeah, because I haven't really heard that from an internal standpoint. So um, personas are, you know, by role type, by, um, you know, geography, by, you know, psychographic. It's, it's very similar to external. Internal, you know, it's, you, you think about that your relationship with an employee and their employee journey starts long before their first day in the organization starts long before they're even hired, right? It comes from an awareness piece. So when you're looking at, and we do a lot of employee value proposition work. Um, so way, way before day zero, day one, that employee is on a journey through your company. Um, then through, obviously, we know how critical onboarding is. We know when you miss, and that's obviously something that has been a challenge during this time is how do we get onboarding right? And there are some cool examples of how companies have tackled that uh, in the report. Um, onboarding, getting that right, right through to, you know, helping employees to be high performing, to helping them grow and take on more roles. And eventually, as obviously most people will leave, will exit the organization, helping them to be ambassadors and advocates for the company. And eventually in many cases, how can you set them up to boomerang, right? We used to do this when I worked overseas, many people, you know, in an accounting firm, many people would leave and go overseas at some point where we set up a whole, whole system system of internal communications for and of um, connection experiences for people who are no longer employees, knowing that at some point they would want to come home. And we wanted them to be able to slot right back into the organization, bringing five years of international work experience. So we perceive people that even when they are not working for you, they are still on an employee journey. They just not currently, you know, have an employee status. Anything else that you have seen that's working for employers right now? I think certainly this shift to how leaders lead is critical. You know, I talking about this as someone yesterday about, you know, CEOs, you know, there's this tension, right? Obviously, organizations for the most part would really like employees to come back to the office a bunch of the time. Is and that what people want though? I don't know. <laughs> employees are very clear that they do not want to do that. So there is, yeah. Even though it might be good for them, though, because I, I don't know. There's a lot, and I think this is where the fun part is, because, but this is this linear binary thing, like office, no office, that I think is getting tiring yeah. for everybody. Honestly, it's bigger, right? It's just, and it just comes to experience. How do we create really rich? opportunities, ways for us to come together, collaborate, connect, innovate, and then go to our non-in-person working worlds. Um, but I think this idea of, you know, CEOs want organizations to CEO for, they want to be CEOing, right? And they didn't, bless them, they didn't sign up for this. Like they didn't go to CEO school to deal with this, like VUCA, we'll call VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world, right? That's not what they signed up for, you know? And so they have been thrust, right? Leaders have been thrust into this world where that is just not at all what, what they, they get paid the big bucks they for do, this kind but of work. No. I mean, let's, let's, be, <laughs> let's be real. Like they have to adapt to whatever world is thrown at them. And this is just, I mean, leadership, in my opinion, leading people hasn't really changed other than the format in which it's it's happening it's like yeah people are working remotely but like the people are pretty much the same you know they're <laughs> they're still emotional they still want to do good work and show up authentically and, and all that and i think you can still do that work from 
remote. Absolutely. I think what has changed is that leaders are being asked to lead humans and not cogs. Right. right. Yeah. And not headcounts. They're asked to be lead humans. And that is a sh- And that's a big sh- that's a big shift for them. That's a shift. Right. And well, there's a quote someone interviewed um, in the um, report said organizations are starting to understand the difference between productivity and dronism. We have to lead humans and we have to kind of contend with that. That's just a different, right? That's a very different, that's a very different ask. And their leaders are also having to adapt in real time to that. And, you know, everyone's on, it's a continuum and everyone's at a different point. Sometimes I think, you know, very often we go in and we build internal communications functions and, you know, we build that function organizations that don't have it. And very often they feel like they should have had it, right? There's a sort of like shame or guilt or something that they should have had it all along. But for whatever reason, they have been able to function very well without and often very successfully without it. And so there's this idea of like, oh God, we should have done this a long time ago. We've been under investing in this for a long time. And we hear that a lot. And now we've got to play catch up. And I say, actually, you're in a very cool position because you get to build a very new contemporary cross-functional collaborative employee experience communications function right that looks at all these different elements of creating employee experience and communications is a critical one of those versus trying to dismantle something that was already in place so there's opportunities for organizations to really leapfrog ahead into this new world and, you know, really throw out the rule book and really make the most of this massive period of disruption and build themselves, you know, it's like I say, it's like reimagine, not rebuild, right? In a very cool new way that will set them up to thrive in a very different paradigm. Did you see any red flags or you call them alarm bells that you're like, oh my gosh, why are you doing it this way? Or stop doing it immediately. Or even if you know you have an employer listening, like avoid this at all costs. What did you run across in, in some of the research? So I think there's there were two two sides of the coin that we heard. One around how resourcing building you know communications teams and the different skill sets that were coming in and some very innovative ways of doing that. On the other hand, we also heard organizations that knew they were under resourced and were really struggling to play catch up. And they knew that the wheels were starting to come off, and that they if they wanted to survive the talent war, they had to do something different really quick, that what they had been doing to this point, what had gotten them there was absolutely not going to work anymore. This need to to really invest and increase their investment in communications function and how to do that, right, um, at scale and very, very quickly. And how to really make that, how to really build an innovative and very contemporary function um, when you may not have been doing that before. Well, let's end it with this. Tell me what maybe a couple top priorities for leaders right now that you like in doing all this research, talking to a ton of different people at all different levels with different sizes of organizations, you could boil it down to a couple different action items for employers to pay attention to this year, 2022. What do you, what do you say to leaders? So I think one piece is absolutely look at your manager, your line manager, 
layer in an organization, they're critical um, in that they can contextualize, localize organization information strategy, et cetera, and make it very relevant, applicable, and sticky for their teams, and also be that connection to that team and that glue. So again, it's team by team by team by team, you know, this kind of one size fits all top heavy approach. So looking at very clear segmentation team by team and how do we reach that manager layer and empower them and enable them to lead those teams effectively. Also recognizing that managers are people too, and they need support. They're not just a communications channel. They are also, um, they're also an employee segment that needs plenty of support to, to figure out how to do this. They're also being asked to do things that they haven't had to do before. And then also recognizing that that manager layer is a listening tool for you as well. They know what's happening in their teams. Um, and so information can flows can flow both through them to teams and also back up to senior leadership what's happening uh, on the ground. So I think that getting the manager layer is absolutely critical. And I think the other piece I would talk about is breaking down silos, um, much greater focus on working cross-functionally. That's why I'm so glad to talk to you, Brandon, and to connect with the HR community, um, because that's why I talk about we the people people. You know, traditionally, there was this kind of silo between HR and communications and other functions. And, you know, we just don't have time for that anymore. Um, we have a lot to do. And what we see when function people are building employee experience functions and communications functions from the ground up now, they are cross-functional. It's HR, it's comms, it's IT, it's ops, right? It's DEI, looking at really organic, um, holistic approach to every touch point, everything that an employee experiences um, working for our organizations. And that's the way forward. My guest today has been Victoria Dew. Victoria, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Your new guide report, it's called The New Rules of Employee Experience and Communications in 2022. This thing is packed full of great information. There's so much more we didn't cover in here that we didn't have time for, obviously, in the podcast. But I encourage you to go, you guys to go get the report. Victoria, where can people get the report and, and learn anything about you and or connect with you? Anything that you want to share with people? Well, first, I love connecting with people who are interested in this topic and exploring and innovating and no matter where they are on their kind of journey here. So please, like LinkedIn is kind of my platform of choice. Um, so please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and um, just let me know that um, something about what we talked about on the podcast resonated with you. I'm always happy to have a conversation. And People can download the report on our website, which is uh, dewpointcoms.com. And also, obviously, there will be a link to that in the in the show notes. Victoria, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Brandon. Great to talk to you again. 